Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm R.A. Salvatore, Bob Salvatore. Been writing fantasy books for 25 years now and going strong. And you're listening to Genretainment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, books, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. This is episode 114, and we are chatting with writer and game designer Sean Patrick Fannin. Fannin has been writing for tabletop role-playing games since 1988. Working on such classic games as the first Star Wars RPG from West End Games, the superhero RPG Champions, and much more. He's also the author of one of my favorite books, uh, The Fantasy Roleplaying Gamer's Bible. He's also worked for years with computer games too, but the main topic we have him to discuss is the upcoming roleplaying game Savage Rifts, taking a classic Rifts game and transforming it with the popular Savage Worlds rules system. Rifts was originally released in 1990. A sort of anything-everything-goes setting, featuring over-the-top action, super-powered heroes, and exceptionally rich setting and story content. This post-apocalyptic Earth setting, where magic is returned to the world, it's a classic setting, a very fun setting, and people are very excited about this new new rule system, Savage Worlds. It's a very popular multi-genre rule system. So, very excited to see how this game turns out. Now, we recorded the interview a couple of weeks ago, and since then a Kickstarter was announced. It should be starting right around the time this episode goes live, so we'll make sure to put a link to the Kickstarter as soon as we have it. Fannin tells us about the highly anticipated game, and we also talk about why I sometimes have a hard time getting excited about role-playing games anymore. But it sounds like this game may help change that. But before we get started with the interview, we should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. And you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with our interview with Sean Patrick Fannin. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. How are you guys doing? Good, doing thanks. Good. Well, we're looking forward to talking to you about the upcoming Savage Rifts game. I'm very excited about it. Uh, which is offering the popular Rifts RPG with a different gaming system. And mm-hmm. But before we get too involved in that, we do want to talk to you about your long history of RPG writing, you know, dating back to 88. But before we talk about that, actually, just to give you a warning, we've got two sides of our audiences here. You know, I'm a guy who's played role-playing games since I was, mm-hmm. <clears throat> since I was like in junior high. Mm-hmm. And Julie, I introduced Julie to role-playing games, but she has only played a few games up to this point, like Pathfinder, Moons of Masterminds. I liked, I liked those. <clears throat> well, I mean, I'd played Star Wars D- 20, and we did Men in Black before, and D&D. And- so, so the question, of course, then becomes, Julie, uh, from a guy who worked on stuff for the first Star Wars role-playing game, <laughs> and is, started, started uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons in 1977, <laughs> and uh, started working professionally in 1988. So this is obviously my life. Do you enjoy role-playing games? I like playing role-playing games with the right group of people. Ah, the alchemy of role-playing. That is an incredibly important thing. There's All we can do 
when we write the rules and write all the guidelines and all these amazing things that we spend all our time writing, but what we cannot package in a role-playing game book or, or box set or whatever, or somehow embed into the, the digital PDFs, we cannot embed the elusive aspects of, of what it takes to get the yeah. right group together. Well, and it's also, it's the group and then also... I like rule systems that are very story oriented and character oriented. I don't like sitting around a table and having people like, Oh, well the rules this and da, da da da. And then like the math and it's all about the numbers and the math. And you ask them about their character and they're like, well, it's a something, something level, whatever. And da 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 da. And you know, like I like to be able to create like a really cool character that I, I mean, like I get really attached to this character and I think it's really cool and I like the adventures. And, cool. and when, you're, when you're dealing with rules and people who care more about the numbers and don't care about the characters, I, I, I literally will fall asleep and Mark's just nudges me and goes, your turn, roll. And, I, I completely understand. <laughs> yeah, and, and then this, yeah. The, struggle, the struggle continues, trust me. Bless your heart because I am absolutely with you 100%. I, <laughs> I write rules for a living. I write and design rules for a living. And yet, to me, the rules are meant to be the language by which we express the game part of the role-playing game experience. The language by which we all understand how to accomplish things and to do things in the world. But the reason for accomplishing and doing things in the world is to tell a story. Right. So the the trick, of course, is to to find the mix, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you have a bunch of people who don't care at all about the rules, it can also be frustrating for the person yeah. who worked on a cool character and has, and likes what they designed from a mechanics perspective. And if nobody's paying any attention to that, that can also be frustrating. So mm-hmm. both of those sides have valid points. Yeah. But when it's when when the weight is extreme to one side or the other, I completely understand where you're coming from yeah. there. I'd love to get you to table. I'm running sometime. <laughs> no, but, and, you know, it had been a lot of years. You know, we did more role playing years ago, and then there had been some years where I didn't do any. And then we did it again. And I'm also shocked at just how it seems weird. It seems like in the 10 years ago, there wasn't as much sexist crap as there is now. Mark's like, oh, oh we're going there. Like, this, you know, I used to role play and it wasn't a big deal. And now all of a sudden, I'm guys are going, Oh my god, you're so raped. Oh, I totally raped you, and saying stuff like that. And I'm okay, like, Okay, so here's the thing you're, what you're the dealing, hell? You're dealing with the wrong people. Okay, first <laughs> off, don't don't game with those people ever again. That's my first thing. That is not typical of our, our hobby at all. In fact, is the vast majority of, of our culture is absolutely against that kind of thing. There's a lot of intangibles here and a lot of things going on. Role playing is bigger than it's ever been. Uh, I know everybody talks about the boom of the 80s, but we did not have anywhere near the number of players we had then that we do now. Um, If you look at John Wick's 7th C, you know, $1.3 million Kickstarter. So we're bigger. There's more. There's many more games. There's many more people playing. A lot of the old groups are coming back. Um, We do have, unfortunately, because of such an expansion to our culture and expansion to our population, that means we're getting in all kinds. Along with the quality. (laughs) And and, and there is a little bit of a culture. Some of this, though, is from people who had been gaming all along. But I think... um, But it's a video game thing. There's a video game. Yes, 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 yes. That's what Marx was Tell me, because I don't video game. I never have. I the, the, the gamer go, the, the gamergate culture, unfortunately, is is pushing back hard. There, a lot of them are, are feeling like, hey, these hobbies are supposed to be, you know, for us to blah blah blah. It's clueless and ridiculous. But just please understand, that's not <laughs> how most of us think. That's not how most of us play. Well, I set a lot of men straight. 
I, I had a talk with some of them. <laughs> I have no qualms about standing up and talking to a room good, full of guys good and telling them exactly what the hell is wrong with all that. <laughs> good, good on you. I, I highly recommend if you get a chance to get to con some conventions to play some con you know table convention games with some folks so you get a chance to see different alchemies, different you know social dynamic and chemistries and things like that because there really is some just great stuff going on and and there's been in the 21st century you know here here in the 2000s we've seen. Uh, some new developments that really focus heavily on on player empowerment and you know player narrative control um, and much more narrative driven aspects to both character creation and, and mm -hmm. gameplay. So um, I like I, that I, that aspect is the best part. You know, and even with Savage Worlds, which is the game system I do most of my development with, because I'm I'm with Pinnacle, we are moving more and more towards uh, adding narrative elements in, and you, you'll see systems that are designed. To, to emphasize story play over just mechanic, you know, combat play. Mechanic combat play, however, let me be very careful here because I love lots of combat. I love when I get to play. I like to play action adventure heroes or jump jumping. Yeah, off I the, like the combat. The but but to me, when combat starts up, that's not when you stop role play. That's when you start role playing even harder. Yeah. Because every scene, every every time you get to go, should be an opportunity to describe an awesome scene, uh, a great moment in action adventure cinema, and, and every chance it, it should be. And as a GM, I try to bring that out. If my players are not describing their characters' actions cinematically, I will do so for them, and I really draw them in that way so that they have more of a sense of of a narrative and of a cinematic action adventure experience as opposed to just a tactical. I'm rolling some dice and doing some damage experience. Well, yeah, one fight shouldn't take several hours, though, right? Well, it, I mean, because that's it, it, when it starts getting really boring. <laughs> well, now there's there's elements of game design there. Uh, there's elements of, of of GM, you know, style and player style and things like that. There's just a lot of aspects. Well, some game mechanics, some game systems do lend themselves to faster resolution than others. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once again, uh, I'm biased, but Savage I'm Worlds... far too ADD for something to last that long. <laughs> yeah, Savage Worlds is a game system. There's a reason why Savage Worlds is so popular these days, in my opinion. There's a lot of different reasons, but one of those reasons is that it was designed uh, by Shane and everybody else on the team originally, and it has continued to evolve to be that game that can express any kind of genre, any kind of experience, and yet the game mechanics, the core of the mechanics... Are very fast, very friendly, you know, very very easy to get through. You can do two or three combats in a, in a typical four-hour game session, and you can do it. You can just do it. It it just it handles. And you, I mean, I do big tables with dozens of minions and a, a lead bad guy and some big monsters and my heroes of six to eight six to eight player characters, and I can knock that battle out fast and make it interesting because you know that's that is the. That is the that's where game design is gone. Mm -hmm. It's towards games that resolve things quickly, partially because of how we've evolved socially. I mean, there's so many of us who are involved. Who the game masters, especially, we're we're, we're adults. We have kids. We have jobs. We have lives. Mm -hmm. And so we can't spend hours upon hours both trying to prepare for the game and then trying to run the game. Yeah. We, we move a little faster. So it may be that you would be happier playing at a table where they're using a game system that's not as old school, if you will, because there are people mm -hmm. for whom that's fun. There's for, for people for whom that is still the way they want to play, and there's, again, there's no wrong way to play or no wrong way mm -hmm. to have fun. It's a matter of you finding a group that's playing in the style that best suits you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And she hasn't played Savage Worlds. Mm -hmm. I, I've read some of the books, but I haven't actually got a chance to play with a group of people yet. 
But I, I like the rules. Yeah, he can <clears throat> he can read those books for hours. Yeah, I read a lot, a lot of <laughs> books. But I recommend I recommend Julie you take a look at a game called Fate. I suspect that one's going to intrigue mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I know um, that one. I've gotten I just bought Mark some books for Yeah, for Fate, yeah. Yeah, what was it for last year for your birthday or something? Yeah. Yeah. It it plays very very differently than than the ones that you named before, but I think it'll be intriguing for you. Mm. So, so okay. I'll that Well, one then after. why have babe, why haven't you had me play that one? <laughs> we haven't had a chance to. We need I a group. Play, we need I to blame group Marks. <laughs> so <laughs> Well, if you ever end up uh, at a convention where I am, uh, I, I hit a lot of conventions, obviously, uh, or you ever get out to Denver, let me know. I would love to get you to a table and show you how I, I run things and see if you'd enjoy it. Cool. So. I don't know. If I get out there in Colorado, I might not go inside that easily. <laughs> oh, you would definitely want to sit a couple of days to go see the mountains. They're amazing. I, I Ever since we moved here, it's been incredible. Where'd you move from? Oh, I've lived all over. Um, see, my career uh, started out doing stuff for role-playing game uh, hobby, and I still continue to do so, but I started doing stuff for the computer game hobby as well. Nothing you've ever heard of, because almost nothing ever came out. For every one project that gets on the shelves, there's ten that get somewhere along the process and, and then die, and the company mm-hmm. gets folded. So it's like a script writer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, fo- I followed that uh, around for a while, uh, and I, I've lived uh, both northern and southern California. I was with... Uh, the Game Manufacturer Association, Gamma, up in Columbus, Ohio, for a while. So I, I know the the Midwest pretty well. Um, lived most of you know throughout the South. Um, but uh, I mean, I was born and raised in, in I was born in Tennessee and raised in Georgia. So I'm originally from the South. Oh, but, I love uh, Tennessee. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the governments of the South tend to aggravate me considerably, but uh, the the countryside is is still countryside's amazing. beautiful. The people are very friendly. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, but 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 Corinne, my belovedest and, and partner in uh, Evil Beagle Games, uh, and I, because we we joke about that we escaped from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> so that was where we li- were living last, is Huntsville, Alabama. When we, uh, I came to be a guest here at uh, Genghis Khan, which is an amazing, amazing game convention, by the way. Mm. If you want to come to one of the best, just sit down and play games all day, every day for a couple of days, few days. Uh, Genghis Khan cannot be beat, and it's got an amazing, uh, uh, you know, amazing number of games and amazing things going on. So I came as a guest of honor for Genghis Khan a couple of years ago, and just fell in love with Denver. And next thing I knew, I was like, hey, you know, maybe it'd be cool. And then there was a GoFundMe, and we suddenly were like, okay, let's do it. So <laughs> here we are. Great. That's great. So talking about rules, one of the big things here with Savage Rifts is that we're taking the Rifts game, which has been around mm-hmm. for quite a few years. 1990. Mm-hmm. And love the art, love the world, the, mm-hmm. the creation of it. The one complaint that some people have with it has been some people don't always like the rules or don't think the rules have updated uh, over time. So and, there's this ongoing joke between me and Kevin Simbita, Um And it goes way back to that first edition, uh, the, the book that we talked about before that we got on air, the Fantasy Role Playing Gamers Bible. When I wrote it uh, in 1995 and had a chance to meet everybody and talk about games and stuff, uh, I did this sort of fun little you know, goofy awards kind of thing. And I, and, and I listed uh, as the most fun game that nobody plays uh, <laughs> was was Palladium's Rifts. And, uh, and I said, of course, within the text of that, that thing, I said, that's not actually true. He has tons of fans. But there's there was such a huge body of people for whom it was a great setting, but they were always looking for the game system to play it with because they did not appreciate the particular style of old school hit point grind you know, classic, you know, like an evolved, very evolved. I mean, people talk about D20 as evolution as a game system. It can be fairly said that 
that Palladium Books as a company evolved D20 before anybody was uh, in, some, in some significant directions in terms of the way they, they approach things like uh, alignments and where they approach things like character classes. And, and, and they just did so much and pointed some very interesting and, and innovative ideas towards a, a classic game engine being moved in a new direction. And that works for a lot of people. It still does. 2016, people still playing Rifts by its, its original rules. And we, we absolutely were like, go you. But yeah, there are other people for whom Rifts was not as accessible. It wasn't the style of game that they wanted to play. The The fact that, that uh, the Rifts players were not, and, and the Rift designers were not as concerned with the, this type of approach to game balance uh, that, that some people preferred. You know, and again, there's no wrong way to play and there's no wrong way to have fun. But for a lot of people, that wasn't going to be fun for them. So they were intrigued, but they were you know, out in the cold in terms of this is not the game I want to play. It's the world I want to play in. And now, here we are. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 2016. So we're talking 26, since it was, 26 years since it was published. Kevin and I have been friends this entire time. And, and I asked him respectfully. And he said, uh, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And here we are bringing that gonzo, over-the-top, post, post-apocalyptic, everything plus superheroes in a weaponized kitchen sink <laughs> setting to a completely different game system, in this case, Savage Rifts. So, you know, using the Savage Rules rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's where we are. Yeah. So it basically, I mean, you have to just kind of come to terms with the fact that when you're talking about balancing of rules, you just are not going to please everybody all the time, are you? I mean, there's just no way to find the perfect oh. for everyone. No, and I think that's why this is really beneficial, because I think, uh, like, you've never played Rifts. <clears throat> I, didn't really, I haven't played Rifts for a long time. But I suspect you wouldn't like riffs. Me? Yeah, yeah, just because it because of the rules and balances. Sometimes if you get it with the wrong group of people, they're going to min max oh. it and make it crazy. Yeah. And now, Julie, the original riff system would be the one of the worst possible game systems you can play. <laughs> the conversation that we've had, and and that's just that's flat out. Based and again, knowing what you know about me, that would be a bad match. Yeah, well, and, and it's a bad match for a lot of people. The same as the fact that Fate is a bad match for a lot of people because they would prefer a much crunchier, more tactical game. I mean, again, it, it just comes down to that we are such a broad cross-section of people now. There's games I just I, – I, I should not sit down at the table and play, and I know other people love those games. I, I do not personally enjoy playing GURPS. I have had nothing but terrible experiences playing Rollmaster, which I used to call Roll You Bastard, if you'll forgive the phrase. But, uh, <laughs> You know, that's, and I know I have friends for whom that's their system of choice. So, but yeah, just based on what we talked about, the original Rift system would not work for you, but I think Savage Rifts would be a lot of fun for you. Yeah. Well, I plan on getting it when it comes out, and uh, we'll, we'll play it. We'll get some people together. It's been the most challenging game uh, design uh, project I've ever been involved in. It's, it's the most challenging work I've ever done in this industry. Uh, it, it, it's been a satisfying challenge. I'm very proud of, of what we've accomplished. Uh, but it has just been well, wow. I, I imagine because yeah. I tried at one point when D20 was so hot trying to convert some stuff over D20 for my gaming group, and I was trying to read various books and be like, okay, well, how could I balance this and kind of mimic this feel? And I was like, wow, this is really going to be complicated. I, I, <laughs> and I gave up. <laughs> I, I'm wondering how to combine role playing game 
and making it a drinking game. I think that would certainly <laughs> up the fun. It needs to be Julie, Julie, Julie. The Julie. fun aspect, I think, could really Role-playing and drinking does not work at all. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. Uh, you, can, you can definitely do some fun role-play storytelling kind of stuff you know, while, while getting hammered, but uh, the typical role-playing game is not going to work because at some point there's going to be the guy at the table who all the filthy stuff's going to start flowing out of their mouth, saying all the horrible things you are already upset about hearing people say when they're sober. <laughs> um, you know, you're going to find out your friends who are willing to say that when they're drunk. Uh, absolutely no one's going to care about the story. I mean, all those things just completely go out the window. I mean, there there are some fun games that can be played in the geek uh, melu, you know, while drinking, certainly. And there are, couple, there are a couple of games that could work, like Paranoia could work drunk. Um, yeah. You know, there's... Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Tune could work drunk, uh, and often does. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <good> one, <yeah. laughs> there's, uh, you know, there's a there's a few others like uh, my friend Lee Garvin and his Tales from the Floating Vagabond. Um, you almost would assume you have to be drunk to play that game. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, there's there's that. But uh, typically, yeah, it, it, it never is going to go past a camp. It's never going to be a campaign. It could work as a one shot. Oh, fiasco. Uh, yeah, Fiasco is another one that you could probably play drunk. Um, in fact, is again, you might be better off playing that one drunk. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll amend my original. It doesn't work with it could work under certain circumstances, most of which I would be terrified of. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of information about Savage Rifts yet. Is there a release date yet or an idea when it's going to be released? Oh, Mark. I know. <laughs> you put him on the spot. Everyone's asking that question, and, and, the, and the simple truth is I cannot say. Um, you know, I, I can assure you it's this year. Um, I can assure you that, that you know, we are seriously ramping up, and uh, there's a lot of awesome things happening in the background. Matter of fact, uh, right up to when you guys called, I was working on stuff. And uh, it's going to be very, very exciting. And uh, just keep your eyes peeled because, uh, yeah, um, I, there is a plan. It is engaged. And that's all I can say. But, uh, <laughs> it, you know, a lot, of, a lot of work has gone into this from a lot of people because this is huge. Um, we were very, very uh, blessed to be named uh, the number one uh, most anticipated game of 2016 on EN World. You know, so we know we got a lot uh, ahead of us on this. And, and Pinnacle never does anything by half measures anyway. And this one in particular is incredibly important to us, to, Pen- to, to Palladium, and to a lot of people. So nothing gets done unless it's done right. But we're we're, we're cooking. We're, we're 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 in the kitchen cooking. Stuff starting to come to boil. It's uh it's looking good. Well, you have to keep us updated and let us know. Well, for sure. So so what can we roughly expect in this first book? Like, is this going to be like the the character classes in the main original core book? Is it going to have like a lot of that same those character classes, those races? Is it so have- so right now the plan uh, includes three core books, okay. uh, which is the Savage Rift Player's Guide. The Savage Rifts GM's Guide. I want to say the Savage Rifts Player's Guide. I should say that right now we're actually looking at calling it the the uh, Tomorrow Legion Player's Guide because that is the actual cool little adventuring paradigm thing that we're presenting as sort of our special spin on on the on the world. We've created what we like to call an adventuring paradigm. Kevin is just absolutely thrilled about this. He thinks it's really cool. It's a reason to get a bunch of uh, obscure and interesting characters together as part of a larger group that goes out and is trying to actually make a better world. Um, so yeah, we're calling this Tomorrow Legion. That's a, a new thing that uh, is coming out with this. So there's Player's Guide, the GM's Guide, and then the uh, Savage Foes of North America, which is our 
it's going to be a book that has a lot of cool bad guys and monsters and classic stuff for you to to mostly contend with uh, in your adventures and in the North American part of the Rift's Earth. And that's that's where we're starting is is with that. Now the the player's guide is going to tell you how to make characters in the classic vein. I mean we we. The, the translation, and that's the right word for this, is not a direct uh, conversion, mm-hmm. right? So it's a translation of Rift's ideas to Savage Worlds gameplay, but you're going to be able to play a Glitter Boy. You're going to be able to play a Combat Cyborg, a Juicer, a Crazy, a Leyline Walker, a Mind Melter, a Burster. You know, all of those those very classic, iconic ones that, you know, that you see in the core book uh, of the original Rift's releases. Uh, as well as being able to play like a, a an operator or a rogue scholar or a city rat uh, or those kinds of characters. And yes, we found a way to balance them. We found a way to, uh, we found a way to make those characters kind of be able to step up and, and be in the same. Uh, they have equal levels of, of, of ability to survive in combat and equal levels of ability to contribute. In fact, in some ways they have some superior ways to contribute because they're going to have skill sets that your, your glitter boy who pretty much says, I got a big gun, baby. And then your wilderness scout's like, yeah, but I know how to actually get us through these wilderness, you know, and, and do these other things that you don't really have a clue about. So a lot of that's going to be, uh, I'm really thrilled uh, with what we've come up with. I, the, the team, is, you know, we, we've, we've come together on this and, and, and we beat this thing to death <laughs> and back and forth. And, and, what, what the results are, I'm pretty excited about. And the players who have had a chance to play at the various convention demo games that I've run have uh, almost universally been thrilled. I've been extremely, I've been extremely pleased with, uh, with the responses from other people when they, who've had a chance to play this. And this includes Rifts fans, old school, old guard Rifts fans. Uh, many of them are coming to Savage Worlds for the first time, but they've, they've come, they've sat down, they've played, and they're like, yes, this feels like Rifts. This is exciting. This is awesome. So that's been... That's been very, very uh, satisfying. That's great. I'm excited. I didn't even know you were going to have three core books. I'm even more excited. <laughs> and I, Good. This I, is have, a, I have more birthday and Christmas present ideas. <laughs> this is this is a line. This is planned to be a line. So there's oh, going good. to be a number of, of – of, I mean, this is something that you know Kevin wants to see us go forward with this, and we're pretty excited about it. We feel that the fans are, are behind that, so we want to see how far we can go with this. That's good. I'm, I'm excited about that. And also when you say line, is it going to be all – supplement setting books and such or are you going to do any kind of venture modules or something because that's something that's been a little a little lacking in rifts versus like what you see in pathfinder now well yeah first off there's an adventure generator in the gm's guide so right there you, you've got a nice tool for that um <laughs> yeah. but there will be adventures yes that's uh, that is something that we've come to understand people want again there was a long period of time in game in, in the games industry where adventures we we weren't able to figure out how to really make those sell it to be worth the time and effort and energy put into producing them, but now that seems to be the case that mm. that adventures are, uh, are 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 a popular thing to do now. And of course, with digital publication, they're easier to do because back when we were you know print or nothing, you know printing an adventure was not as worthwhile a, uh, an investment. But doing it PDF, uh, yeah, we do adventures all day long, and people are people are happy to get them. And yes, believe me, you're not the first riffs player or person who's played riffs in the past or riffs fan that goes hey adventures yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're listening we're paying attention to that we actually uh i'm working with some really awesome people uh on 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 some uh adventure stuff uh, i'm very honored to be the brand manager and it's a it's an interesting role for me because not only is it you know writing and design but i'm also 
looking over the, the process and uh, been working very closely with Ross Watson, who's famous, you know, from people who know the Warhammer 40k stuff out of Fantasy Flight Games. Ross ran that uh, shop for a while and is considered a, a Warhammer 40k expert, but he's also very much an expert in the Rifts uh, setting. How he knows way more about the, the details of the Rift setting than I do, so he's been invaluable. He's uh, my partner in Evil Beagle Games and, and has been my partner in this project. And uh, he's he's doing a couple of actually no, it looks like I think three adventures right off the bat, including the GM screen adventure and a couple of others he's working on right now. And then we've got some other really awesome people lined up who want to do adventures. So yeah, that's definitely part of the picture. Yeah, I mean that's something I have seen evolve over time because I think it's because Pathfinder adventure modules, uh, adventure paths, and stuff just have made that much more popular. Um, yep. Seems like that's, it. And the whole the whole society element, or the that's not the right word, living campaign type thing i think it's helped help that grow oh absolutely and one thing i always thought that riffs could have used too was a little bit more guidance somewhere you could take your character sometimes not as strong as like shadow run where you're like early shadow runners but but sometimes there's so many great ideas so many enemies you don't know where to go as a gm and i think that's cool that you're doing this tomorrow you say tomorrow league the, to- the tomorrow legion legion yeah and how much can you tell us about the tomorrow legion <laughs> um I, I, well, I mean, we, it's it's been out there for a little bit. The okay. Tomorrow Legion is uh, the everything's set in the aftermath of the fall of Tolkien. Uh, it's about six to eight months, I think, after Tolkien has collapsed, which is a major Magic Kingdom in the rough setting. And it was a six book series plus a final a book called Aftermath that sort of followed after that. And it was very very defining uh, event uh, in in the in the rough setting. So we're we're setting just after that. In the, the collapse of Tolkien and the coalition's effort to to um, consolidate their power and the the growth of Lord Dunskin and his version of the Federation of Magic and and the tensions that are still developing along those lines and amidst all that, you have Fort El Dorado, which is the latest coalition state in Arkansas. They control the very southern part of Arkansas, although they technically claim all of the state, but most of you know, like the middle and northern part of Arkansas, as well as a huge chunk of Missouri. Uh, is still not heavily patrolled or controlled by by coalition forces. So within that region, there is um, uh, right exactly on the border, right right between Arkansas and, and Missouri, right there on the border. There's a place, and this is a real place. It's a place. It's a place called uh, Fort. Uh, it's a Lead Hill. I think it's called Lead Hill, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's a real. I mean, every, this is one thing about playing with rifts is of course you're using all these real locations. And Lead Hill, Arkansas. They actually there is a company that tried to build. A, a resort based on building a, a castle using original, you know, like medieval post, slightly post medieval era techniques hmm. and construction materials. And they were going to build an entire resort around this idea. Well, it didn't get finished and they ran out of money. And I think last I heard, they were still trying to find somebody to, to finance this or pick it up or, or, or buy it from them or something. But you now it's not too far from the Ozarks uh, and Branson, Missouri, and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. So it's in that region. So anyway, the speculation is uh, we had fun with it that. that some dwarves came along from a rift at some point and found this foundation and said, oh, let's build a castle. <laughs> and uh, So they finished the castle and they built a town around it. And then uh, refugees from the Tolkien, uh, the Tolkien war got brought there by Lord Coke, who's the guy who founded the Cybernites. And uh, he and Aaron Tarn worked with these other people. And, and there's this whole thing where they built it and became called castle. It became to be called castle refuge and became a place where a lot of people tried to start over again and the idea is that uh, 
the Tomorrow Legion evolved out of the garrison of people who were there to protect them and try to help, you know, rebuild. And then they're like, well, uh, it's an opportunity for us to try to build a better world and to, to look to tomorrow as opposed to keep trying to hold on to the past. So that's what's going on is you've got this this place that's welcoming heroic-minded people who are looking to do something to, you know, deal with the coalition, to oppose the Federation, to deal with the raiders from Pecos Empire, you know, the impending threat of the, the, the Zedekics, you know, Atlantis. I mean, all these threats that you, you mentioned, you're right, there's just so many threats and stuff, but this is a group now that is going to be, you know, able to be pointed at these threats to explore, to examine, to investigate, and, and to deal with them. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of where we're going with this now, is giving the GM and these players a tool by which it's like, okay, here's all these bad guys, all these conspiracy, conspiracies, all these hidden stories, all these, these things that are happening, these threats, and here's a reason for you guys to be a part of something that is trying to to deal with these threats and to investigate and to explore and find new uh, new ways to build the world. It sounds exciting. I think it's the whole direction sounds really good. I think it's it's gonna be a hit. I smell a hit. <laughs> <laughs> we are moderately optimistic. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about rules real quick. One of the big rule mechanics that sometimes creates imbalance in rifts is mecha damage which if for julie it's like you know like you shoot a normal gun you hit and you do damage right but like you have like a phaser on like top setting and just disintegrate stuff that would be like mecha damage if you damage so, that category so <laughs> a 38 versus a nuke Almost. well <laughs> in, in, in rifts what you had was a situation where yes you had the 38 pistol or the spear or any normal weapon right and against normal people you'd fight and you'd stab or shoot someone it would hurt but then you ended up with this idea of you know these robot suits and you know these you know, giant monsters and stuff like that who were mega damage creatures or mdc capacity battle armor stuff like that and normal weapons couldn't hurt them but the idea was that all these you know, weapon manufacturers. The thing is, the reason I call Rifts a post post apocalyptic setting is that there was an apocalypse. There was, of course, the Dark Ages and the post apocalyptic. Everyone desperately trying to survive. This is well after that. Civilizations are starting to rebuild. There's giant cities now. There's like full on cyberpunk level development in some of these areas. But there's also vast Mad Max wilderness in between all these places. But old you know, manufacturing you know, capabilities and technologies have been found. Plus there's stuff coming in through the rifts that, that upgrades things as well. So we end up with all these weapons that are capable of just blasting holes in tank armor or blasting holes in these, in these giant edifices. Now it got a little crazy, quite frankly, for some people uh, in the original rift setting. And it's gonzo, right? It's fun. People, rifts players love it. Other people, look at it a little askance and go, I have a pistol that's about the size of a 45 caliber handgun, and yet I could shoot through five schools with this. <laughs> now, I don't understand. Or I have this special spear, and I could punch through an M1 Abrams tank with it. That's a little crazy, isn't it? And for, for classic Rift Slayers, that's a lot of fun. We had... Uh, you're right. That was, that was a big one. That was a big, big challenge. And the, the thing is... There is a core set of rules, and uh, in, in, there's there's a core rule paradigm in in Savage Worlds that easily and immediately suggested itself. The idea, of course, is that you could not take a 45 caliber pistol and shoot through a uh, a patent tank with it, right? But 
you, you would take a rocket launcher to attack a tank with, well, something that was designed to be able to penetrate that armor and do lots of damage. And this is the concept of, of heavy weapons and heavy armor. So a 45 caliber pistol in Savage, Savage Worlds does not do heavy damage, so it could not possibly penetrate a device or, or, or a vehicle or something that has what's called heavy armor. Heavy armor requires heavy damage to hurt it. If it has the heavy damage tag, then you just roll damage normally and you go against its armor and blah, blah, blah. And that's really it. Now, with that in mind, we had what we thought was an easy solution. It's what pretty much everybody expected, but we didn't take the easy road there. We went round and round and round on this thing to be absolutely sure that was, in fact, the right way to represent this. And while at the end of the day, we did decide that, it was it was not a, a quick or easy decision. It was one that we did a lot of playtesting and a lot of running numbers and, and a lot of other stuff to say, is this ultimately going to feel riffsish? And at the same time, because we chose that, we decided that it was no longer necessary for every weapon to be capable of shooting through five schools. And we decided that it was no longer necessary for every suit of armor to be the equivalent of an M1 Bradley armor personnel carrier. So not every suit of armor is mega damage capacity and not every weapon is doing mega damage. Most of the laser weapons now are just doing cool laser weapon damage. They're still cool weapons and, and they'll be able to hurt most targets, but a standard laser gun will not hurt a glitter boy. It will not hurt a combat cyborg, but there are plenty of weapons that a group can get a hold of that will. You know, they can get a hold of the, the laser equivalent of a, of a rocket launcher or, 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 or a heavy weapon. And, you know, we also made the decision that all the melee weapons should do mega damage because Savage Worlds is a lot of fun for melee combat. And we thought we should bring that out. We should make melee combat exciting and over the top and gonzo. So all the vibro swords and impact mauls and all these other cool handy hand weapons, they all do mega damage. So if you've got a laser gun and you're shooting at the uh, the UAR one force and it's not hurting it, you then draw out your vibro sword and you run up and you go whack on it with your sword. So that great image, that great 40k image, the guy you know, with his sword is like, drive the tank closer. I want to hit it with my sword. Um, you know, that's, that's actually totally that's totally riffs now, right? That's a totally riffs thing to do is to run up on something with a sword or chain swords, right? That we, we love chain swords. I'm always a fan of a good mace. So yeah, you know, pull out a pull out of pull out of mega damage using mace and whack the crap out of it. So yeah. the, the the other thing that uh, and gaming too, not just kidding. <laughs> and and the, the the other thing that uh, is really cool is that yes, the mega damage weapons are generally they're doing a lot of dice, but they don't do more damage to you if you're not wearing MDC armor, right? They just, you know, you're, it's rolling the same dice of damage against you, who's in your Huntsman armor, as it's rolling against the, the Glitter Boy. It's just, it can hurt the Glitter Boy, whereas the typical Dead Boy laser rifle can't hurt the Glitter Boy. That's when the Dead Boys decide to start throwing grenades at it or pull out, like I said, a heavy weapon. So it all ends up balancing out. And Magic, by the way, uh, is another equalizer because the, the the Mind Melter can put mega damage on his Mind Bolts and the the Leyline Walker can put mega damage on his, you know, you know, fire spell, and that can so they can also hurt stuff that normally can't be hurt. So it's it's all in there. It's just once again we we balanced it a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> That's a good way of doing it because it did because the mega damage and the normal risk equals up to a lot of I forgot how the multiplier of standard damage so it's it getting crazy. 100. Times 100. Yeah. So if you, if you did five points of damage 
you know, with a really good damage weapon against a person, that, that person took 500 points of damage and was a greasy spot. So, unless, <laughs> unless they were wearing MDC armor, which, of course, that became the escalation point, is that everything had to be MDC and everything had to do mega damage. It's an arms race. <laughs> yeah. and, and Shane asked me the question, he said, this is Savage World, so do we still want to have a guy with a spear jump out of a, a, a tree and still be able to scare the crap out of the guy who's sitting next to the fire, uh, who's not in his glitter boy? And I said, yes, I think we do. So, yeah, that's that's what we went with, and, and that's the the paradigm we went with. And, and I think it was Ross that coined the phrase: "If it walks like a tank, it talks like a tank. It's a tank." And uh, you know, so that's that's our decision point on what should be versus what isn't MDC. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And now, artwork on Rifts has always been really great. Uh, what can we expect artwork wise and Savage Rifts? Well, um, see. Kevin was really awesome uh, to his artists. And at a time when artists were being frequently taken advantage of, Kevin didn't do that because he's an artist himself. So Kevin left all the rights with his artists. um, And that's awesome. Again, good on them. But what it meant is that we were going to have to recommission all of those guys uh, or or, or pay them again to, to use that art. So we were looking at, okay, so let's look at our budget and let's see what we can do. And and Pinnacle Entertainment is famous for doing fantastic art for their products. So if we were going to invest the money, we decided, why not add to the fantastic library of existing Rift's art by doing new art? So that's the direction we chose to go, is to do all new art for covers and interiors for the, the Savage Rift line to Again, to to update, you know, to 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 add to that incredible library, just put more cool art out there for Rifts fans, and that's what we've done. So you're going to see some absolutely stunning pieces that are both for the covers and for the interiors. In fact, this has been a big part of what my life has been the last few weeks is <laughs> is going through and, and and making sure all the the art's coming in. And and Aaron Savito and Alita Saxon are two key people at uh, Pinnacle doing uh, a lot of the art, you know, management and, and pushing things along. And the stable of artists they have, they're working on stuff. It's it's kind of breathtaking. I've uh, I've I've I'm really thrilled to be working with the level of quality that we've got. And again, the, 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 the Kevin's an artist, so his interest in is is very heavy in making sure that the art is good and that it is reflective of what he expects to see. So there's been a lot of back and forth. There's been some pieces that had to be redone because, you know, Kevin had said, this is what my fans are going to expect us to look like, and he was right. So, you know, we were working hard to make sure that it's right, that when fans look at this, they go, that's a really cool new piece of art, but I know who that is, and I'm, that makes sense. I understand what I'm looking at. And that's that's been exciting. We had this really interesting uh, thing at Gen Con last year where uh, Shane, uh, we were talking about the, the cover, and we had, had some really cool pieces. But they were very awesome pieces that have sort of some classic approaches, things like the, the group of three heroes against all the villains and kind of stuff like that. And that's a great piece. I'm really thrilled that we're going to share it. But Shane, he challenged us, and he had me, Ross Watson, and Aaron Acevedo. Again, Ross, my, my, my partner, he's sort of, you know, what the... You know, project development uh, helping me with this and uh, Aaron Eastfeed is the art director for Pinnacle and the four of us walked around the floor with the express mission of looking at Artist Alley and, and books and things like that and like what we want to do is we want that one image, that one thing that is going to say something powerful and important and special and be a standout image that people will be talking about long after the book is released. And and what he was going for is something similar to the original Deadlands cover. I don't mean Deadlands uh, Reloaded. I mean the original Deadlands cover, cover that Brom piece of that undead gunslinger on the front. Mm-hmm. That's that's award-winning, famous piece of art. We wanted something that that evoked that level of just impressive. 
and uh, the cover piece we have with the player's guide, I think it's there. I'm really excited about it. Really, really excited about it. I'm not going to say because it's a surprise, <laughs> but I, I, I think it's going to be in the same category, certainly in the same ballpark uh, as that original piece in terms of what it says and how it says it. So you're going to see some really cool stuff there. But like I said, the, the art images have just been fantastic. And yeah, I get thrills every time a new piece comes in for me to look at. So good. Well, I can't wait to see the art. So in Rifts also, I know there's certain character classes that, that uh, cause problems a little bit with, with the normal kind of leveling up, like, say, for a Juicer or a Crazy. Sometimes it's uh, the way they're built, they're almost like, boom, you're, you suddenly got all this ability. How do you fix that with, with Savage Worlds? Well, Savage Worlds does not have character classes. Um, it is not a class-driven game. Having said that, we did recognize that we needed to deal with these iconic characters uh, and, and deal with them so that they were satisfying for the player. Uh, so uh, I coined the phrase uh, uh, iconic framework. And uh, what we've done as we've gone forward on this is is each iconic framework front loads, and yes, that's the right word, front loads a set of powers and abilities that define what that character should be able to do right out the gate. When you sit down to play a juicer, the juicer is supposed to be able to do certain things. And you know, it would be incredibly disappointing if the juicer wasn't doing all those cool things. Same thing for the mind melter, same thing for the combat cyborg. The glitter boy is no glitter boy if he doesn't have that oh my god gun and that oh my god suit of armor right off the bat. So relying on, conceptually relying on superpowers, the superpowers companion, which also takes the approach of I build a base, you know, novice level character, but then I put all these superpowers on top of this thing, mm-hmm. and therefore they're front loaded. You know, using that same philosophy, that that's that's how we went, we did things with these these characters. But they still have plenty of room to grow, so they have their foundational abilities. Uh, you know, the juicer's a super soldier who's got all these cool abilities, and we we actually did something different with the juicer dealing with his death arc, which uh, we can talk about if you want. But uh, he's got all these abilities, and then he, like many of the other Iconics, there's a new set of, of, of edges called Iconic Edges. And these Iconic Edges are specific to one or, or, or a limited number of, of Iconic Frameworks, and they further expand on what that Iconic Framework can do so that there's still some cool level-up abilities, you know, because Savage Rules does do level-ups based on, you know, every five experience points you get, you get a new thing, you get to add something. Mm-hmm. So we, we went that route, and we said, you know, one of the things you could take would be a new Iconic Edge that further develops something specific to your Iconic Framework, as well as you could take just a normal Edge of, you know, Comet Edge or Power Edge or something like that, or take some new skills or something. Mm-hmm. So it becomes another option uh, that you can use to to improve what the character does based on on which Iconic Framework you chose to play. Yeah, with Juicer, you talked about Death Arc, because with Juicers and Crazies, you know, Juicers live fast, die young kind of philosophy, and... Uh, right. And crazies, uh, like their namesake, get a little little crazy <laughs> from their abilities, and, and, and they go steadily more insane. And we we definitely incorporated that you know, into into what they could do. So crazies, we played with the with the berserk mechanics a little bit, and and that's going to be really exciting when you guys get a chance to see more how they do things. But uh, over time, they do take on more madness, but they can also develop abilities in which they can kind of ride that madness and use it to their advantage, which is kind of what a crazy should be. Uh, with juicers, we took their idea of that they were going to die in some you know, period within five years of, of being juiced, and we said, let's actually do something more with that. 
you know, it was, I think, you know, it was, it was, it, was, it definitely was Ross who, who pushed me on that at the very beginning. And he and I went round and round. Then we got a bunch of other people involved, including John Wick. He was uh, part of one of our early design sessions. And he suggested uh, that we, we definitely, it wasn't worth anything. It, it didn't have any meaning unless it had a game meaning. So now juicers have something called burn. And it's just a number, right? The typical juicer starts at eight burn. And they start with a burn die of D10. So rather than it being a set point on some calendar, this is the marker that says at what point a juicer's life force is running away. So at the beginning of a recession, you roll the burn die, which as I said is a D10. If you roll equal to or greater than the, the juicer's current burn, the <laughs> is juicer this has to Bernie Sanders. No, <laughs> no, no. You know, you do. We, we were we were saying things like feel the burn well before that, um, but. Uh, if you roll equal to or greater than the current burn level, you have to spend a point of burn permanently or you die at the end of that session. And so the die will eventually get that number and you're going to have to spend the burn to keep surviving. And then, of course, the more burn you spend, the faster that's going to happen. Uh, so there's that, tip, that, that, that ticking clock that you can see on the character sheet every session you play, which makes it a much more real thing. But you can also spend burn as a resource that you can then do cool superhuman things with. I mean, you already can do superhuman things anyway, but when you really want an extra superhuman, you could spend a point of burn and add your burn die to a die roll or a damage roll or anything. So you could add a D10 to something you're doing. You know, if you really want to go berserk uh, for this one special kill, spend three burn, add three D10 to the damage that you just rolled. I mean, that's the kind of insane things you could do, but you cannot get burned back. There's no known way to get your burn back. So you're just going out that faster. So the point is, the juicer character is destined to die far sooner than most characters within a campaign, which we thought was important because that's that's really the definitive part of who the juicer is. But the player is in a great deal of control over how and when they die and what they do with that death. And we think that is an incredibly important innovation for the, the juicer character. And again, Kevin was just absolutely thrilled with that when he, when he uh, heard about it. And the players who've had a chance to play with juicers in the games, they've been really excited to play with that. Yeah, I think it's cool. And I predict in one-shot convention campaigns, you're going to have a lot of iconic juicer deaths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not as often as you think. It's been kind of interesting. Now, part of that is I, I, I'm kind of evil because the first thing I'll do when I hand out these characters to people at the convention, I'm like, this is your character. You get to keep this character. You get to name this character. And if the character survives, the next time I run a Savage Rifts game at any convention or if you ever show up at my table, you may bring this character and continue playing it. So I leave that. I dangle that uh. ongoing existence, that living campaign kind of idea, right? So that they, I, because I don't, I want the choice to die to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. So players get to keep this. And some people have. I've got a guy who played a juicer, you know, that was supposed to die in one session. And he kept him and he brought him back to the table because he started showing up at our game nights. He did eventually die. But, uh, you know, there was a thing, right? He, so he kept him for a while. So, uh, but yes, for campaign, for, for, I'm sorry, for convention play, I'll set the burn die at like six. And I'll go ahead and put in what's called last call, which means their burn die becomes a D12. So yeah, they they usually blow through those pretty hard. <laughs> so once you kill once you kill your juicer character, do you have like a backup one to start playing after that, or are you just out of the game? No, no, no. People, it's, you just bring a new character in. Yeah, yep. I mean, now this now there's there's a way for juicers. By the way, if they get near the end, they can go through what's called detox, which still is likely to kill them, but they might survive. <laughs> and, if, and if they survive, then they've got this empty shell of a character that they've got to like rebuild into something else. But it's a very interesting role play challenge. It could be a very interesting story challenge over a long term campaign. Most juicers are just going to die in a blaze of glory. Which, by the way, there's a blaze of glory setting rule. <laughs> 
uh, you know, added to uh, to rifts uh, now, and it will probably become a core Savage Worlds uh, option uh, for you know for game, which is basically your character is facing a death blow, and instead of rolling on the incapacitation chart, you just decide, nope, I'm going out in a blaze of glory, and at which point it is fully narrative, and you work out with the GM how you die and what you accomplish with your death. Awesome. So, yeah. Like yeah, I said, great. we're trying to. We're trying to add some new narrative stuff like that. I've had a glitter boy set off his nuclear you know, engine to destroy a UAR one enforcer, and that was one of the more glorious blaze of glories I've seen. So. That is cool. I like that me- mechanism. It's a lot better than uh, I rode a fumble and fell or something. <laughs> that, that was one thing that I, I, I'm really thrilled with, and, and originally it was designed for the juicers, uh, but uh, Shane and others said, you know what, that's too cool. Let's make it something for everybody. And so now there's the option to make death meaningful in the yeah. game every single time. Every time a hero dies, they can have a meaningful death. That's what you want in the story. Mm-hmm. Unless it's Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I joked about the juicer thing. Most people I know who game, even though they might even not be able to admit it, they're very protective of any character they play. Yeah. So you'll, you'll still have a lot of people play juicers and not want to die for sure. But I think that's a fantastic story potential. Well, you should probably choose someone other than a juicer. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you go in knowing what you're going for. So, oh yeah, yeah, it's it's possible to play a juicer over the long haul. Uh, you know, have have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting. Do you have a uh, mental stability in there because of uh, because I know the original role playing game you could roll for random, you know, mental. Uh, well, we didn't go into the same place that that uh, the original riffs did, but yeah, there is a system in there for for and specifically for crazies. Uh, dealing with becoming more and more insane. There, there's a hindrance system in Savage Worlds, and they just acquire more basically mental-oriented uh, and, and emotional stability-oriented hindrances over time. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of how we handle that. Um, you know, there's a there's a core fear system, a fear check system as well that can handle certain things. And if you, for example, you can acquire phobias. So I mean, that's all that's all embedded in the core rules anyway. And then for crazies, like I said, basically every rank, right? So every 20 experience points, you get a new rank. You start as novice, and then 20 experience points, which is four level ups, you become seasoned, and then another four level ups at 40, you become veteran. So every time you hit a new rank, as a crazy, you have to take on a new crazy thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, there is a random chart for it, uh, which means you can get multiple delusions, you know, multiple phobias. You know, you can develop, you know, the, the you know the the habit of monologuing, you know, so that every time you draw a, a, a clubs card uh for initiative you have to spend the round doing nothing but just you know monologuing to the you know the enemy or something like that so there's all kinds of really bizarre things that the crazy can end up well being even more crazy (laughs) so is there anything else about savage rifts you like to mention uh just that i'm 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 very excited about this i'm i'm looking forward to getting it out into the wild and and seeing how much fun people are going to have with it i as i told kevin when i first proposed to him uh that we should do this is I'm, I think it's a chance for us to bring this setting to a whole new audience of people and a whole you know, new generations of players who, for whom, you know, they just, they either they've never heard of it or they heard of it, but they never got to play it or, or whatever. And there's so many Savage Worlds fans out there. So you're right off the bat, that's going to be huge. But then there's all these other people I think are going to come back to Rifts as a setting because they're going to be intrigued by, you know, trying it through this new set of mechanics Plus, you know, the, the existing Rifts fans who just are going to be excited because there's new material and new things to play with. So I'm, I'm extremely excited. I'm very grateful to the, the team of people that I'm working with. It's, it's amazing. Being able to be a part of Pinnacle Entertainment has been a dream come true for me. And I mean that quite literally. This is one of the things I really wanted 
you know, Shane is a, a dear, dear friend and it, being a chance to work this closely with him and with Jody and Clint Black and, and with the rest of the, the Pinnacle team has just, it's been a thrill. You know, they're, they're amazing people to, to be working with. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. You just keep your hats on guys. Cause this is going to be, uh, I think it is going to be big. Um, it's certainly gonzo. I mean, this is crazy over the top stuff, right? You're, <laughs> you know, riffs, you know, riffs fans are going to be excited. Savage world's fans. I'll just tell you a little anecdote. Uh, you know, Shane is not a power gamer, right? He likes the more intimate, you know, I'm just a person. I may have some cool abilities, but you know, I'm, I'm a guy who's, you know, in over my head and dealing with strange horrors and, and weird West or, or, or all these other kind of cool things, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and so he, he looks at the power stuff and he's like, well, I know people enjoy that, but yeah, it's not really my thing. And he's always been, you know, he's, he's very rightfully kept us, you know, reined in. It's like, you know, are we going too far here? Have we done too much here? Is this too complicated? And it's been invaluable, but he hadn't played a glitter boy. He, he, he sat down and played a few various, you know, let's try out this new scenario or let's, let's play around a little bit. So he was here for, for Genghis Khan this year, and uh, Ross was running uh, a play test of, a, of an adventure he wanted to eventually write up. And uh, Shane said, you know what? Everybody keeps talking about it. I, I got to see. So go ahead. I'll play the Glitter Boy. So the Glitter Boy has the boom gun, which is, and I, and I, I went out of my way to do this on purpose, it is the single most powerful, you know, one-man fired weapon in the game. There's nothing that's ever been published for Savage Worlds that I'm aware of that does anywhere near this damage as just a you know just a person carrying a gun and they shoot it and it does this much damage. Mm-hmm. So it does 4d12 plus six. I mean, you look at it, a handgun does 2d6 damage, right? This is 4d12 plus six. <laughs> Ar- armor piercing 25. Uh, medium burst template, so it's area effect, you know, and it's mega damage, of course. So I mean, this is—I re- mean, the, the thing has to like sink in pylons and like tow claws and activate a jet engine on its back. So he gets a chance finally to set up and fire this thing at a whole bunch of enemies during this this battle that we're this first battle we're in, and he rolls and just rolls, you know, incredible crazy damage, and everything is just obliterated, and. Yeah, we're all kind of, especially because I know Shane's on a power game, right? I know this is on his thing, so I'm kind of looking at him, and he's like, "Okay, yeah, that was fun." So <laughs> I was like, "Yes, Shane, get you." Because so he, it was cool for him to get a chance to see that you know, that's, um, you know, for for the, the Savage Rifts players, that's going to be a lot of fun. This is just absolutely the most over top over-the-top crazy expression uh, of the rules. People are going to be doing big, crazy stuff, blowing tops off of mountains and, you know, just mm-hmm. ridiculous, you know, stuff. And that's Rifts. So, you know, you know, we, there's an ongoing joke we've had internally. It's because Rifts. Like, well, anytime there's, there's <laughs> completely nuts or some character's doing something that is patently insane and impossible, it's like, because Rifts. So, <laughs> That's uh, that was that was a cool moment, right? So to, to see him have have a chance to to have some fun with that. So that's that's what we're looking forward to sharing with everybody is is this this crazy beyond Gonzo uh, expression of Savage Worlds, uh, which is just one of many, right? You know, there's so many other amazing things. I mean, Weird Wars one just came out. Very excited about that. You know, before that was you know the the, the new version of Rippers. Um, you know, we've got Flash Gordon in development. God, I can't wait to see that. That's just gonna yes. be so cool, so cool. You know, that's you know taking you know actual Flash Gordon from the movies on. Yeah. Um, that's that's gonna be a fun a fun thing too. So it's the flexibility of Savage Worlds is just incredible for all these different types of games, and and it's gonna be fun to have all of these different expressions out there for people to play with. So mm-hmm. Savage Worlds always has a lot of really exciting settings. So it'll be uh, Rifts will be a great mix to that. 
Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you know, I, you've had a long history of role-playing games. I love the Fantasy Role-Playing Gamers Bible. And uh, Star Wars D6 was like the first game I ever played. So, um, Yeah, we're actually in a game. We're in a campaign of that right now. We have a, a regular Monday Night Gaming crew. And I got a guy who's running that every other week. And it's just been a wow. Talk, talk about a callback. <laughs> Although that wild die thing, man. Oh, every time you roll a one on that thing, you're like, no. <laughs> anyway so yeah anytime you guys uh I, I i enjoyed it anytime you guys want to talk about anything to do with the gaming hobby or industry pretty deeply involved as a the sean's pick of the day site I'm, I'm so i'm very involved in promoting other people's products and stuff like that so uh anytime you have a question let me know okay that's great. great thank you we had so much fun talking to you thank you again thank you guys hi my name is david peterson i'm the creator of the dothraki language for hbo's game of thrones and the alien language and culture consultant for sci-fi's defiance and you're listening to genre attainment well thanks to sean for taking the time to chat with us and good luck to sean and the savage rifts team with their kickstarter but before we go we do want to remind you that you can always keep track of us by subscribing to us on itunes or stitcher or by following our genre attainment facebook page marx's twitter account which is at mr marks our website at genretainment.com, or you can follow all of the shows at scifipulseradio.com. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until, Until next, next time. time. Ten monkey.